This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. So any of you that have been with the program for the time that we've been on the air, or even just a few years, you know, I'm one of those people that says, hey, uh, once Labor Day happens, it's a new year. And people ask me, do you get mixed up all the time, Kelly? Like, the new year is January 1. Well, in my calendar, in my head, it seems like we reset the year as of the day after Labor Day. No matter what that is, going back to school and just everything, even the air seems crisper. It seems so different. So I have to say, folks... Ah, happy New Year, uh, once the weekend finishes. <laughs> Thank you for being with me here on Kelly & Company. Kelly McDonald here today, Ramya Muthan finishing up a week of a vacation. And in a couple of moments, I'll bring Bill Shackleton in, who will join me as we talk about a couple of things. But uh, let's see what's coming up today here on this edition of Kelly & Company. Starling and T-Mobile partner to connect mobile phones to satellites. We'll discuss this on our app update with John Beeler shortly. Culture Days are returning uh, across the country in September. Content development specialist Sylvie Fiquette, she'll fill us in all the way from Vancouver. And folks, 45% of Canadians listened to an audiobook in 2021. And that number continues to grow throughout 2022. Not a surprise, right? Today on the Chatty Bookshelf, we'll discuss this as we uh, discuss the exploding Canadian audiobook market with Ryan Huey in Hour 2 of the program. Bill Shackleton, he's here later on for The Buzz, joining me here for Segment 1 as we kick the show off. Shaq, uh, how's your Friday? Friday's going good so far. Going good. Uh, What is the highlight of the weekend? What are you doing? Or shall I say, what are you watching or listening to? Not much now. I'm just doing prep work for the my part of it. Okay. All right. Getting themselves together. But over the weekend, nothing particular planned? No, not really. I'm waiting for next Thursday because the first NFL game is the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, um, Billy. That's what Labor Day means to Bill. Not college it football. Does. Not CFL football. NFL. Mm-hmm. NFL. Yep, NFL. Billy, researchers with RBC are calling for an urgent reset to Canada's immigration process to keep talented international students in the country to fill key labor shortages. RBC researchers say the path from becoming an international student to a permanent resident in Canada is not a straight line, and the daunting task of navigating the complicated system may be turning qualified and much-needed workers away. The RBC Thought Leadership Report says one of the issues is that study permit holders are limited to only 20 hours of off-campus work per week to protect the immigration system from potential abuse. Given the tight labour markets, the researchers argue there is a case to allow international students to accumulate more Canadian work experience in their field of study. They say a lack of work experience is a key barrier to students finding a job after they graduate, which also puts them at a disadvantage when it comes to getting permanent residency. Lori Paris, The Canadian Press. No expert on this here, Bill. So, and certainly not meaning to slight or offend anybody, 
It's interesting because we've got, and, and I, I, in my area, there's a lot of international students that uh, take up residence here and do their studies at the University of Western Ontario and Fanshawe College and so on here in, in the Forest City. But I always wonder, how, with all the money spent, with whatever they have to do to be able to be a student here, how hard is it afterward to get those jobs? And when we talk about getting placements, great. But we also know we have a, a, an influx of people that come to this country from areas where there may be wars and, and things going on, and we want to put them to work uh, as well. And a lot of them qualified people in their countries, in their homelands. So it's got to be a real push and pull kind of situation because you've got these qualified people coming. Um, we've got people qualified already who are citizens of Canada and international students that are saying, look, I need some time to get some some experience in. Can I have a little more than what what I'm legally allowed to have? It's got to be a real battle. It's it's always, a, and, and like 20 hours, I think, did they say 20 hours? That's yes. really not, not no. enough. And the other thing that happens is there's so many people that are coming here that we not we're not recognizing their work qualifications, so they they have to they end up doing jobs they don't want to do when they could be filling very important jobs. And, and we've talked about this before, where we need workers to fill the to fill all kinds of jobs, and we're not letting them do it. And I think we should, you know, we get really protective of of course our citizens as we should, but. It's so hard when we're made up of of so many people who have come to this country from other places and so many of these historical um, rules have been put in place. So anxious to see where this encouragement goes from there. Uh, Billy, you know we dabble a little bit with uh, Twitter, so let's let's talk a little bit about this while we have a few moments left. A new feature allows you to limit who sees your tweets. Take a listen. The new group feature on Twitter is a lot like Instagram's close friends option. The social media platform launched the new circle option so users can have more control over their tweets. Users pick people in their select group that they want to interact with and who can see and share tweets. The groups can include up to 150 accounts and they don't have to be followers. A green circle badge alerts users on what tweets are available to the group. Michelle Franz and ABC News. So uh, hopefully accessible to us screen reader users and others. What do you first think about this? Maybe pros and cons. Um, I'm always, I'm thinking if you don't want to put it up, don't put it up. I mean, um, yeah. And, and I guess there are certain people that you might, that might, you, you might not want them to see. But but mine is okay. Then don't post it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like how effective funny, this is Billy, going to be. Well, it's funny because to me, I don't think of Twitter this way, right? I think you do your tweets or for all your followers uh, to see or pe- wherever it goes, it goes. When you start having yeah. the circles, okay, understand the privacy. There's other means in social media to do that. But I also think we always have to be so careful because then we start in six months after this has been rolled out. Oh, well, you know, uh, there are a lot of these private groups that are out there and they're spreading, uh, you know, hate and so on. Um, We have to really think about the means. I think if people want to communicate with somebody, you've got your private messaging you can do on Twitter. You can share things and stuff like that to to be be private, to have enough. But when you start getting groups like this, and I think it's in everybody's mind, I have a right, though. If I want to have a group, if I don't want some people or my all my followers to see something, um, but I happen to have a big enough group of people that I would like 
involved in that, whether it's a maybe it's a writer's group or something like that, and they only want to tweet stuff about that to a bunch of people very quickly instead of, oh, boy, uh, I have to I have to pick and choose or sort it out. So, I, I, again, like you, I see some pluses. I see some minuses. I, you know, and I know with everything we do, it creates those things that we, we can't do or shouldn't do or, you know, say, uh-oh, didn't really think about that when we rolled that out. Shaq? Yeah. As usual, thanks a lot for filling in. Appreciate you doing so uh, when we've had uh, these uh, Fridays as we uh, uh, enjoy our summer hours, which, whoop, whoop, they're gone. Speaking, uh, speaking of Labor Day. Yeah. Speaking of Labor Day, you know, that's a good, uh, that, oh, oh, boom, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Everything changes. We'll talk to you for the buzz in a little bit. Bill Shackleton will return, and we'll continue with the program here after the break. Coming up, Margaret Weldon joins us with our lifestyle report as she's been filling in this week here on the program. Stand by. It's more on Kelly and Company. Lining you up for a lot of great conversation. Friday edition of Kelly and Company. Kelly McDonald here with you. Reminding you, ladies and gentlemen, reach out to the show if you would. You can give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Always love to hear your voice, so mention that it's okay to play your message on the air if you don't mind. 1-866-509-4545, and that it's for Kelly and Company. On Twitter, I'm at AMI Kelly Mac. You can also find the handle for AMI Audio itself at AMI Audio. Always love to interact and chat, so great way to do that with them. Over here, everybody at AMI-audio or myself. Always love to hear from you. Thank you for uh, subscribing and uh, following along. Appreciate it. And, of course, if you have questions about Accessible Media Inc., you can send it to feedback at AMI.ca. That's feedback at AMI.ca. The gang over there at Marketing market, marketing and Communications, those guys there, you know what I'm talking about. They'd love to help you out. On Fridays, usually Jeff Ryman brings us uh, lifestyle headlines, but he's away this week, as you know. So pinch hitting for him and going to bring us lifestyle for today is Margaret Weldon. Hello, Weldon. How are you? Well, I'm good, Kelly. How goes the battle for you? Uh, so far, good. Uh, you, what am I going to say as we're swinging open the gateway to the weekend, last day before that long weekend, it, all's good. And how about you? It's great for me. I've been maybe a little too much. I've been in, indulging in the Ontario peaches. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So is that pretty well the only Ontario food you would say that you go out of your way to find? No, actually, I, I you know, any type of Ontario fruit I can get is, is fine. It's just for some reason the peaches seem to be pretty easy to get this year. Mm. And I don't know why. It just seems more e- like a lot easier this year than other years. And... I had somebody bring over a big bushel of them the other day, so I've just been enjoying them. I know um, we've had the conversations with Susan Kearney, with our nutritionist, of course, about just how weird seasonable can be. Whatever we're talking about, sometimes something's really peaking, and there's no ne- not necessarily any reason. Like when the tomatoes kind of are, wow, we're getting a lot. I think it was earlier this year. Um, somebody said something about this year or last year that way, how it's been. But when you talk about the Ontario peaches, the big word I think that I hear people say, juicy. Oh, yeah. Real juicy. And and there's nothing like them. I don't care what anybody says, nothing like them. Yeah, that's really good. I I enjoy it immensely. Yeah. 
Are we talking about peaches off the top or something else? No, we're going to talk about something else today. Okay. I, I figured we'd give we we'd uh, take give food a break. Well, I thought we were going to give food a break <laughs> until I. <laughs> I don't know what show you think you're on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's start off by talking about uh, parents and grandparent closeness. Close. When it comes to children, it's Friday. You can tell. Mm, well, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, a, a study. There was a couple of studies done, and I found them kind of fascinating. The first study looked at how much time parents spent with their children between, well, actually, I guess it was between 1965 and 2017. And what they found was um, between 1965 and the mid 90s. So I'm going to say maybe. I don't know, 97, 98, I guess that's mid-90s, right? Yeah. Uh, after, yeah. yeah. Anyway, they were saying there that um, mothers, for example, spent 12 hours with their children. Mm-hmm. And fathers, if they had a college or higher education, spent six hours. Yeah, that's what I would think. Mm-hmm. And those who, you know, had a lower income spent three hours with their children a, a week. Now. When we talk about spending time, I mean just spending time with that person, with that child, whether it's whether it's helping that child do homework or, you know, feeding the child, giving the child a bath, whatever it is that that particular mm-hmm. child needs. OK, so after 1995, and this is the real astonishing part, the women who um, attended college university, their hours increased to 21 hours per week. And those with a lower uh, income increased to 16 hours a week. Fathers who had a higher income went up to about 9.4 hours per week. And that those with a lower com- income was about 6.2 hours per week. So just a little bit more there. Yeah. Now, a lot of the um, explanation for women is that they don't spend as much time cleaning or preparing food anymore because you can get a lot of these processed meals or you can even go to the grocery stores now and pick up fresh meals if you want to, mm-hmm. right? So, that, you know, that adds to it, um, you know, and I'm kind of surprised because I'm thinking with women working now, you know, because a lot more of them yeah. work now. Yeah, you'd think there might be less available time, but I think, and, and this is where you get into surmising, and I, I, I want to preface this with uh, no offense meant to anybody out there. Um, maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on some of the things that I'm just wondering is, are we looking at people who have that post-secondary education, the job quality that they're getting that has those HR departments that says, hey, you work this number of hours, you leave the job at home. I'm, I'm you know, not crediting HR departments necessarily for that, but a job situation that has more of the protections for, for staff, for workers, more stuff you can leave at the office. I know some will say, no, the more higher you are as an executive, you take it home. Or a lot of people who are not in that situation who may have to be waiting behind a counter at the fast food end up putting more hours in, end up standing all day, end up being so tired and needing to rely more on uh, grandma or, or grandpa or somebody else to 
help out at home, which means they come home, lay down, they're tired or they're hours that they, they're working to suck up hours that they could be with the child um, of those what we would think traditional family hours. Yeah, and I, I agree with you there. I, I believe that's the theory behind it, right? Because even if you look at incomes today, I hear of so many people who have to take more than one job. Yes. Just to keep their, you know, just to keep uh, ends meeting, so to speak. Right. Did, uh, did it mention any of that? Because, Margaret, the, like the multi-jobs alone, good point. And I know there are people who have the post-secondary uh, dental hygienists, for example, and they'll all tell you there's not enough full-time work. Where do I, I work at three different places? It never mentioned it in the study, but that would be my theory. Like mm-hmm. that would sort of be the, the Weldon theory. Now, another interesting fact is here, um, and let's bring grandparents into the mix now. So okay. those children who spent more time with their grandparents and you know whether it's because they maybe they they uh, the grandparents live with them in the home or, or the kids go to the grandparents after school or whatever they were able to resolve emotional issues and solve problems a lot better than those who spent maybe average to no time with grandparents and I think it's because grandparents tend to be a little bit more reasonable in some cases. They take the time. Yes, they do. Come for a walk with grandpa. Well, why is it that way, grandpa? Well, let me tell you, whereas a lot of moms and dads are just pressed to get everything done. Exactly. And another funny thing, too, is um, the the uh, grandparent who you spend the most time with is often the parent who the child is closer to. So, like, if that grandparent is the child's mother's mother, then the child tends to be closer to the mother. Ah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and and I found this, it kind of takes me back too, because my grandmother and I, we were like the best of friends. And I know that sounds funny, but we used to, but we, but but I guess it's because we had a lot of the same health issues and we could sit down and and reason things out together. I, you know, um, yet I was closer to my dad and that grandmother was my mom's mom that I was the closest to. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I always was told it, it really seemed to be who you were most like. And I know for some people, they'll say, I absolutely not, because, you know, they say I'm most like my mom and we didn't get along. It was like, you know, um, they're too much like me or, or whatever. And I'll, you'll hear people say that stuff. So it's interesting when you think or to put thought to grandparents because they're, you know, the ones removed in the sense of, and again, a lot of grandparents have just as much or more to do with grandchildren or the child than a parent does sometimes, and especially in a lot of the cases you're citing here, Megs. Oh, yeah, easily. And I I guess, too, my grandmother and I had a very special pact. Right. I used to be able to call her from school, even though though my parents weren't talking to my grandma, but I used to call her between 5.30 and 7 o'clock in the morning from school. Uh. We never talked, (laughs) but, you know, we never talked about my parents. When I graduated from school and my grandmother needed the help or just to talk, she could call me any time of the day she wanted to. But if I was out of town and needed help, I could call her, collect any time I needed wow. to. Wow. And of course, that was something when you were at the blind school. It would be really, really helpful because you have those moments, those times. And they could be at any time where you're just, I need to talk to somebody. I need family. Yes, that's right. That's right. And also, too, and, and, then, and even my grandma. Sometimes she'd call me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I used to have to tell my late partner, I'm sorry, but my grandma comes with this deal. Like, I'm a package deal. That's what I used, yeah, to, used yeah, to tell him, yeah. you know? Oh, isn't that something? Um, I, I don't know when you think about people in your world, people, you know, is there a lot of that? I, I think of how close I'm, and my grandmothers are, are both gone. Um, and that's really what I, I knew. Never I knew my great-grandfather when I was a child. 
Um, but my grandmothers both were, were, were um, on their own. Uh, my life growing up, but, and I was pretty close to both, even though one was in Montreal, one was in Nova Scotia, uh, but would come and stay multiple, like for a few months at a time with the family. So a lot of time, my, my grandmother from Nova Scotia, further away than Montreal, I was closer to. Um, do you find that people in your world have always been, do you, can you think, has it always been even distribution close to grandparents? I think it's about half and half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can think of people who were very close to their grandparents. And, and you know, I, I don't know what kind of an effect it's had on them. Some good, some bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you see my grandmother, she had eight grandchildren. And I, I know she had a, a different relationship with every one of us because we're different people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, there's there's you like I can remember growing up and you spending a lot of time with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's one of the other things that if you are fortunate enough to be able to have access to your parents. And I'm not sure all my siblings would say the same thing because, you know, my oldest siblings may feel they had far less time because you'd get the remarks of, oh, yeah, Kelly's the baby. He gets what? And a lot of that was the more available time my parents thought, felt they had. As parents are navigating, and sometimes you get grandparents that just never think their children do all right at raising kids. So they're always, you know, interfering, helicoptering over their own kids and their, their upbringing of their children. I think in my case, maybe in your case too, when, when we were very little, um, I know the, uh, the, the organizations my parents, you know, dealt with for support basically said, you know what, you've got to get Margaret going to different places yeah. and then coming, you know, without you guys. And yep. my grandma played a big part in that. Like I'd go and spend time with them for the weekend when I was very little. And, you know, I'd say, well, where's, you know, where's my sister? Where's my, never mind. You're just coming with grandma for the weekend. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about being as agencies, organizations saying you can't, the the child's low vision or blind, you know, don't smother, don't coddle. Um, It becomes a very interesting conversation when you say that a grandparent said, look, you heard that, leave, don't, you start saying, well, they came from a more tougher upbringing or, or, you know, tough love kind of, kind of avenue, but it really is, they've seen it all. Yeah. Oh yeah, they really have. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I know a lot of time people like, Mom, let me do, you know, Margaret's my child. Let me do what I want to, you know, what I want to do. But they're there. And, of course, there is a resource if you're lucky enough to have a parent, either parent that cares and is in in the child, in your life and your child's life and understands, yeah, there's mistakes that are going to be made. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been um, also just doing some research, too. Um, there's a new podcast on uh, Zoomer Radio, and it's called Go To Grandmas. And you know what? There's a lot of do's and don'ts about being grandparents, um, and, and they look at it from all angles. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's, listen, it's the parent's house, it's the parent's rules, and, if you know, you sometimes you have to bite your tongue as a grandparent. That's right. That's right. And And... Because like you say, it it is the rules of the household. But with that, I think it's a huge lesson for us to learn when we're children. There's rules here. There's rules there. The world's full of rules. And sometimes they differ. And you've got to roll with that and understand that. You can't say, yeah, but I'm allowed to stay up to this time at home. So you have to let me. That's not the way things work. And I think it serves us justice and children justice if they are lucky enough to have a couple of sets of rules, grandparents, and understand that. I mean, I know there's a lot of fractured families and that becomes really tough to keep up on everything and every preference. And you, the child must get really confused. But 
I'd like to think it serves well later on, especially when they're working and and understanding that, yeah, this person does uh, has a different management style than that person, and hopefully their longevity with stuff works well. Megs, sure. awesome. Thank you for filling in. Great conversation. Appreciate you covering for Jeff. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Yeah, thank you. We'll have uh, Margaret back next week covering off The Buzz with Bill Shackleton away, and Jeff Ryman will return to the show with Health on Wednesday, Lifestyle on Friday. Up next... Our app update. Stick around, folks. It's Kelly and Company. Well, we're in the midst of the meat of the program. On a Friday, I'm talking meat. I know there's lots of you that are going to be doing that barbecue thing on the weekend. So I'm, I'm just helping you out. Ooh, planting it in my head, too. That's the way to enjoy that uh, last official weekend of the summer that we call Labor Day. You settle back, enjoy some uh, great eats. There is a lot of choice, though, out there in the non-meat category for barbecuing. So keep that in mind, too. And for certain, even if you are that meat eater... Make sure there's enough grilled vegetables afoot. I, I like those grilled mushrooms. Absolutely wonderful. For me, probably that's the best way I like green peppers, too. If you throw them on a grill and do them up. And tomatoes. Oh, yeah. Let's just finish something with a bit of a tomato. Those like kebabs. Absolutely wonderful. Anyway, I better cut it out. <laughs> must mean not a, enough of a lunch out there, folks. That must be what I'm getting into. Well, on Fridays, we uh, get into conversations about apps and many other things uh, along that genre of technology. So let's bring in John Beeler from The App Show. This is The App Show, unlocking software secrets for smartphones, tablets, TVs, and more. I did the terrible thing, John, and bringing up food, then say, come on in, John, talk as your mouth is watering. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. Our friends over at uh, T-Mobile, um, they're partnering partnering to connect mobile phones to satellites. I, I think I like the sound of this based on some of our previous conversations. I think I understand. Yeah, this is a really interesting development that T-Mobile has partnered with Starlink to basically offer the ability to use their satellite system with mobile phones to eliminate dead zones. And this is something that that we talked about before, you know, it's it's not that hard of a stretch to imagine that Starlink could become a cell phone provider. The question has always been, can they reach every part of the world? That seems to be addressed. Do they have enough bandwidth to reach everybody? And that's the big question. So mm-hmm. T-Mobile is partnering with them to do some stuff in this very specific spectrum. And this is basically for emergency use only type of right. scenarios, especially in you know rural areas. And you know, Canada has got lots of rural areas, but I, I found in my personal experiences driving across the U.S., there's even greater dead zones in places that you wouldn't think would be dead zones. There's just lots of deserts, lots of mountains, those kinds of things. And those places have no cell service whatsoever. So it's always kind of scary to be going through those parts of the country and not have any access to emergency services, a tow truck, whatever you need. If you test all this stuff, get it up and running on this emergency 
service proviso because that's what obviously has to come first in in any aspect that we can think about. Then let's fast forward 5, 10, 15 years from now where the average person, where there is none of these dead zones and stuff like that, the big deal we heard when satellite radio was coming in, hey, you'll be able to get it everywhere. Now if we're talking being able to use our telephones, I, I, I think would we by then solve the bandwidth issue because everybody would jump on this um, wherever it was made available to do so? I, I think so for sure. The uh, What's happening here with this T-Mobile partnership, Starlink's actually uh, sending up a, a next generation of, of these satellites that has a ginormous antenna actually and and, you know each one of these satellites i think has got a five or six meter span for the antenna which is quite large and they have much more upgraded uh hardware as well for the actual uh satellite part of the the operation um the biggest problem is the cell cellular providers Mm. they're not too happy about this because they're paying billions of dollars for the spectrum and starlink hasn't paid for spectrum. So, you know, th- there's a lot of issues to be sorted out that have nothing to do with the technology. But if you're using the satellite abilities like that, especially in this testing area, especially being a first, putting it out there, they're, they're at this time not going to make a lot of money hand over fist or anything like that because we're talking emergency purposes. We're talking that what goes into the testing to make this possible. You've got you know, company signing on here to see how this works out. Yep, the goal down the road. Um, I wonder if we would see other partnerships with other satellite providers and, you know, how much the government would be fine with this and say, look, guys, we're testing this out now. This is what these people are doing. We're giving that kind of thumbs up to it. But I wonder how this wild, wild west turns out. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that at the same time as these tests are happening, it looks like, uh, Tesla vehicles might actually use the same service for right. their data connectivity. Wow. And the possibilities and necessary, again, possibilities. But then you start, well, how come that company? Um, and we do get into dollar cents and who initiates things first and, you know, gets, brings the, the biggest, I guess, the strongest case to it. Yeah. Well, wow. it's also interesting to note that Starlink isn't the only only company putting these types of satellites into space. A number of U.S. companies are also trying to be competitors in that space and putting their own satellites up. And I, I guess that's what you're going to need. You're going to see happening until we get into this, how much space junk are we going to have up there? That always boggles my mind. How many satellites are floating around up there and how many near misses and or hits does random junk hit this stuff? Yeah. Because it's getting pretty pretty congested up there. And how do we get them down when we need to? That needs to be something much more focused on, you know, let's send the trash collector, sh- it'll shuttle up there to get stuff. That's that's what we really need to think about. LastPass confirms that uh, attackers stole some source code. Yeah, this is not a good, good news item for LastPass users. Um, basically, they some hackers got in it and they stole a source code. Now, LastPass is saying that this doesn't mean that they have access to everything. Uh, right. None of none of their users' uh, information, uh, account information, and and stored passwords those are all encrypted. Those are still safe. But what it does mean is that hackers have potentially a new, uh, let's call it a a, a guidebook 
to help them understand how LastPass is set up, maybe they could at some point figure out a way to decrypt that stuff. Um, but at this point, they're not. The LastPass folks are saying you don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry about your password. Your password is fine, and you don't have to spend the afternoon changing all your passwords. Um, but it's it's it just feels like every day there's some big company that a lot of people rely on is being compromised in some way. We see this with um, hackers with ransom attacks. We see this also when literally hospitals or or municipal uh, governments are being held prisoners. And now we're seeing this with our passwords. Uh, well, not now. We've we've always seen it. What what do we say? Because I know we can say, well, folks, just get used to it. And there's so many things in our <laughs> world we have to. But there's got to be that leveling of honor, that. Our knowledge knows these things can happen, stuff can be ransomed, and passwords stolen. Um, John, is is there in your mind a real go-to with us keeping our freedoms, being able to do what we do? Is there a way to solve some of this, or is this just the the tread we the path we tread? I, I think any time when you have digital keys to your kingdom, those keys are in jeopardy of getting into the wrong hands at any time by anybody. And we've seen all kinds of examples where even simple things like your cellular service goes down for a day or two, like the Rogers incident a little while ago, uh, other places. We rely so much on all this technology and so much on the trust of these companies keeping our stuff safe. Uh, it's very difficult to say 100% confidently, yeah, you're, you're good. There is no 100% safety net here. There is no one good service that's completely immune to these types of attacks or threats. Um, all you can do is do the best you can with your due diligence. Make sure that you change your passwords so you have very difficult passwords. And you just hope that you're, the companies that you've put <laughs> your bets faith on. In, right, your faith in. Yeah, exactly. That They're not going to be the ones. That, that They're using their resources to properly protect your information. And I guess there is only so much homework you can do, only so much listening to other people and recommendations you can take to, to kind of put your mind at ease or hope that you've positioned yourself uh, good with, with whoever you go with. Well, uh, unless you're an IT technology person, right. you don't have infinite amount of time to do mm -mm. that. Mm -mm. Oh, or, yeah. I hate to say it about us all, but or the knowledge. What do you know? Yeah. You know, you only know so much business knowledge, only so much tech. If someone explains to you how they do their things, you only know so much to say, oh, it sounds good to me. It sounds secure. I, I don't know. They'll be speaking a tech language. I don't know. Uh, DuckDuckGo now offers anti-tracking email service to everybody. Yeah, this is a, I thought we'd finish with a good news story on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And DuckDuckGo has uh, a, a free service that you can sign up for uh, at, at their website. And essentially what it does is it gives you access to use either their app or a browser extension in your browser of choice. And what it does is anytime you go to a website that maybe you're going to go shopping at or say there's a newsletter you want to sign up for, you don't have to give them your email address. You give them uh, a DuckDuckGo generated email address that will automatically forward to your actual email address. And you can even customize this thing so that you can say, you can sort of give some clues to yourself to know, well, who did sell my information? I can tell because I signed up for, you know, say the gap and I used the gap at duck.com, which is the email address that 
DuckDuckGo will give you. And then anytime you see that being used somewhere else, you'll know that that's who sold your information. Not that I'm picking on the gap, but it was just easy on the top of my head. Um, so this is completely free. It's very painless. And uh, the, the cool thing that happens is DuckDuckGo gets this email so it comes into their servers. They strip off all of those trackers. So it's things like little bits of, of code. It's things like hidden uh, transparent images that will send information back to the person or the company that is sending those emails. So they they can tell things like you, you've looked at the email. You've maybe visited their website in the last few days. There's a whole bunch of different things that they can learn from you and create a profile just from those trackers. And sometimes those trackers are persistent for days. So anything that you do will send information back to them. DuckDuckGo will strip all that stuff and basically it just passes through their server. Nothing is stored on their server. They just strip it and send it on to you and you get it with a, without any trackers, which is really great. Wow. Yeah, and and I think that that's what so many of us need to get a like look at these pluses like that, um, and not too much work to do to make it so. No, no, I mean there's other ways to do this, something something kind of similar. Like Apple has something very similar now with their uh, their relay system. Uh, you can do kind of the same thing with Gmail, but none of these thing other things strip away all the trackers. They just let you have a fake email address that still forwards to your actual email address. DuckDuckGo is actually stripping off all the bad stuff before it even gets to you. Wow. And what a way to, you know, have that filter, have that security, as we were just talking about, feeling good about, uh, you know, knowing, hey, uh, we've got the right choice here. I'm doing the, doing the right things. I'm doing my due diligence, and, and they're providing me the tools to do that. And, and again, I'm not trying to suggest, John, that so many others don't try to do what they can it's a lot of to do what they're willing to do with uh, to deal with how they're willing to roll things out and and what at what cost in the long run for them um versus the gains yeah for sure okay yeah Re- really good stuff man and uh really wonderful uh i really want to go back here to the satellite stuff because when you brought that up and brought it up, when I first read it, I thought, wow, we talked about the fact that somebody in time could be wherever, Mount Everest or, or, or like you said, going across the states, those rural areas that are incredibly, you don't expect them. Uh, where's the strangest place you found where your service was? Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I actually find sometimes in like downtown Vancouver, there's some wow. places because of all the the buildings and, and that type of stuff gets in the way because the cell towers in Vancouver are typically on the mountains around in, surrounding Vancouver. Um, and like I was driving in to the office today and I was talking to a friend and a place that's literally right below all the cell towers is the dead zone because you're right below them. And so he, he my, my phone call got cut off wow. and it's like, how does this happen? <laughs> Yeah. And when you'd have this kind of coverage, you, you just wouldn't. You, you, well, <laughs> if you do, you're in some real problems somewhere down far, far away. <laughs> John, as usual, wonderful to be talking. Thank you for the uh, great info. Enjoy the long weekend. You take care as well. We visit with John Wheeler of The App Show on Fridays right here on Kelly & Company. Get the latest on our apps and, of course, so much more value out of these segments. That's for sure. Uh, we're going to step aside for just a couple of moments here on the program. Culture Days are returning across the country in September. 
content development specialist, Sylvie Fiquette. She's going to fill us in right from Vancouver as we bring our second Vancouver guest on in a row. I always smile when we have these Fridays with back-to-back customers on here to talk to you from BC. But, of course, earlier in the week we had Jim Crisco on, covering his beat out there in Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, things he brings to us. So definitely the West always on this program, very well covered and always nice on a Friday to hear, hey man, it's this, it's that out here, it's the West and always life good out there. Uh, We welcome in, as we get into our regional content report, uh, we're joined by Sylvie Fiquette, our content development specialist in Vancouver, another Vancouverite on the program. Sylvie, nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm great, Kelly. Nice to talk to you as well. Summer been good to you so far? Pretty good. We've had great weather. Uh, It got started really late, but since then it's been pretty nice. Yeah, it settles in really wonderful, and with so much stuff coming back to normal, uh, P&E time. You're right, Kelly. I actually thought, okay, do we talk about food and all of the (laughs) (laughs) wonderful things that we enjoy at the P&E? And I kind of swung it around to something coming up a little bit down the road that people can look forward to, because the P&E wraps up. Yeah. Right after Labor Day. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's get into that first item. That's a, a little bit down the way here. Culture Days. They're back across the country, uh, returning in September. You want to get into this too? What's what's intended during this three-week extravaganza and who are the events for? Yeah. So Culture Days, you're right, Kelly. We haven't had an opportunity to talk about this Mm-mm. national celebration of arts and culture with events in communities big and small from coast to coast to coast for quite some time. And um, we know that there was a pandemic that prevented people from being able to attend a lot of these wonderful events. So they're back. This year, the celebrations kick off on September 23rd, and they run through to October 16th. And BC's Culture Today's programming invites the public to get hands-on and behind the scenes to highlight the importance of arts and culture in our communities. So this is something that really is quite a lot of fun. The public associates Culture Days with being accessible, multicultural, welcoming, educational, and community-focused. There's just so many things you can participate in. It's a list that could go on forever, Kelly. Well, and it it seems like it could include so many different topics, um, experiences. And would you say it's for everybody? Definitely for everybody. There is no exclusion here. Everyone's included. There are there's something uh, for everybody. And the fact that there's a vast number of both accessible in-person and online events, it really does open the door for everyone to participate. So, Sylvie, tell us about some of the BC accessible events that are happening, if you could, and uh, we'll get into how people can find out in just a few moments. But where do we start with some of this lineup? Sure. So I'll highlight just a couple here, but give a bit of background. Um, 
This in-person event, All Bodies Dance Project, brings together adults of all abilities, genders, sizes, and backgrounds, experience the joy of dancing in an open, safe, and joyful env- environment where all differences and disabilities are celebrated. So absolutely no experience or skill required for this um three different workshops that are available in North Vancouver. They're held Thursday, September 29th, October 6th, and October 13th from 1 to 3 p.m. And people can register right on the Cultural Days website. They just go to the the tab and um, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit after. The second program that I wanted to highlight or accessible opportunity is an online event and it is titled Resiliency on the Roller Coaster. It's offered by the Surrey Museum and this session will prepare you to succeed in supporting breakthroughs and overcoming accessibility roadblocks and barriers. The unstoppable Tracy Schmidt increases awareness of how to create accessible working environments by working collaboratively with people with disabilities. So through her personal example of courage and determination, Tracy challenges misconceptions about disability and inspires achievement. And um, that's, again, everything is free. So you want to check these out for sure. Oh, that's amazing. So if people listening in are curious of what's going on around them, how can they find out in their own individual communities? Yes, so across the country, but we're going to focus on BC right now. For further information, go to culturaldays.ca, select your region, so you would select the tab for BC, then filter your search for accessible events in person or online. There's a huge abundance there, and tabs pop up for registering for these events. There's usually a code provided, or if you're aware um, and you've checked it out and it provides the community community center or the cultural facility that it's in, you can contact them directly and register there. That's tremendous. Excellent. Sounds like a good three weeks. It's going to be a lot of exciting fun because you get so much to experience. Sylvie, we're going to try something a little different here for your second item on the list to speak of today, getting to know the interesting and talented people in the regions that's popular uh, here on on our show um, as we hear about the steps being taken to break barriers within the disability community and terms of inclusion and advocating for better access because it's so important, Sylvie. It is incredibly important. And I think this is a great platform, um, Kelly, for you and Ramya to meet and interview these people yourselves after you've been introduced to them and have them come on the show. And so this story appeared in bcdisability.com. Spencer Van Lawton interviewed Robin Han. Robin's a disabled opera singer, a stage director, a vocal coach, and educational YouTuber. So Rob, yeah, Robin has an invisible disability, a chronic illness with various comorbidities. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome affects her heart and hands. And she goes into this and explains on her YouTube channel a little bit of more about the syndrome and fills people in. Um, but she's also the co-founder of Opera Mariposa, a critically acclaimed company working to make opera more accessible for all. Wow. 
That's amazing. Yeah. When we hear about, and, and again, you know, Sylvie, my experience doing theater and, and, and accessible theater and having so much fun and uh, engrossing myself in, in the world of theater as to, to whatever it might be uh, to me, but to each of us, the, the passions we have and being able to say, I want to share this, starting a company like that is just absolutely tremendous when you, when you think about it. Um, where can someone check out Robin's work? So... Robin, she she says the intersections between disability and opera have been a focus of her work and art for over a decade. Mm. Um, the content covers her passions. She talks about improving accessibility at Pride events, LGBTQ plus representation, and um, representation on operatic stages, and disabled artists navigating the operatic world. So her videos are designed to be fun, but often they're educational, showing a personal disabled joy, along with the realities of the challenges she faces day to day in an ableist industry and so if anyone's interested they can visit Robin Hand's videos on YouTube some of her favorites she's highlighted so um, every app operatic soprano voice type explained and a series of three videos the disabled opera singer which explains Ehlers-Danlos syndrome I checked out a couple of these and she is incredibly entertaining and fun to listen to and some somebody new to a new uh, voice. Consider, yeah, a new voice for sure. So we, when you um, with checking out some of the videos, what I think is wonderful is it's nice to be to have that fun. But to get your points across, because we all, we, no one wants to be, we're not good at being lectured to and someone going through a tutorial about how this is done, how you have to do. You, people have to feel comfortable in that enjoyable smiling at moments, crying at moments kind of kind of presentation for it to stick with us, for it to sink in, for us, it to make sense to us because it's not our world. Did you feel that with watching the videos? Absolutely. And, you know, she pointed out that um, it's, you think that it might be not that challenging if you have a background experience in script writing and graphic design and you want a platform to discuss what you're passionate about but it wasn't an easy feat to launch a YouTube Mm. channel she says that um, during COVID she she decided she wanted to connect with people and continue working to make the operatic community a safer, more equitable space for disabled artists and audience members alike. Um, but she she really found her rhythm and has just... It, it really comes across when you're listening to her that her enthusiasm, her level of excitement to create the accessibility and to bring more people in to the opera world. She's just really passionate and it's clear. I used to always wonder uh, when we were doing TV stuff, you know, and I'd start learning a little more, paying attention to the industry. And I'd often find the first episode of something was like the third or fourth that was shot that just because they shoot shows and us, you know, you have them airing right. in a certain order. And, and I always learned as I watched pilots of different series, how different things were. Um, but yet it seemed more together. Then you'd get a couple of shaky episodes as if people were learning their way or they were done later. And I think there's something to be said when you get into this world of YouTube, you know, maybe, maybe the order you end up posting stuff is a bit different because once you kind of find yourself, and I'm sure that's one of the things Robin would say is the hardest to do at right off the top. 
For sure. And that's a great point, Kelly. I think it usually takes a few, as I take, uh, or a number of recordings to really feel like you're hitting your mark and able to convey what you want to convey. And um, she she's quite eloquent in saying that um, not only does she... Um, does her illness impact every aspect of the way in which she creates content content, but she looks at each video script through a disability lens because while not every video explicitly is, has something to do with disability. uh, She says, I'm still always disabled all the time. So it's important uh, that she brings that perspective as well. And yeah, it's great. Uh, Robin on uh, YouTube on youtube check her out i would um the way i found her was just going to the um three three videos the disabled opera singer okay thanks so we talked to you in a couple of weeks our regional content specials we talked to on wednesdays and fridays right here at get their report on kelly and company next hour of the program we have the chatty bookshelf uh, we have, uh, when we sum up the week, Cut for Time, we'll be here for that. And the key, uh, we'll have the buzz in just a couple of moments with Bill Shackleton. Stay tuned. Good for you. Appreciate it as we are getting you lined up. One hour to go, folks. We're swinging open the gateway to your weekend. A long one at that. We appreciate your time right here on Kelly and Company. What better way? You can't even speak of a better way to get us set up for the long weekend without a dose of Bill Shackleton here for the buzz. Bill, welcome back to the program as we're lining up the Friday for everyone. One hour to go on the show. And Bill joins us to uh, talk over a few things that he brings to us, subjects, articles, in which uh, we uh, chat a little bit about once Bill highlights them for us. Sir, where are we starting? Well, we're going <clears> to <throat> do this one. Proposed alcohol guidelines highlight health risks f- f- uh, with just a few drinks. Mm. Uh-oh. Um, Canadian Press brings us a story. So the Canadian Centre for Substance Abuse... Um, basically has made recommendations that to, to the, you know, the food guideline. And, yeah. And there's a couple of them. First of all, they would like to see all alcohol products labeled just like cigarettes, um, you know, for, for, and, and that sort of thing. And I, I, think, I think I was always under the impression they were, but, but obviously not. Well, I guess I guess they're going to put warnings on the bottles and mm-hmm. I don't and that sort of thing. Um, they have changed the goalposts. So um, the the last time this was updated, they recommended no more than ten drinks a, a week for women mm-hmm. and uh, fifteen for men. Now they have lowered it now. Now they're saying low risk is two drinks a week. A moderate uh, is three to six, and everything above that is a risk. Wow. So they've really, uh, you know, changed things around. They've also made a recommendation, according to a report, that, you know, how they used to say that drinking a little bit in moderation can can uh, 
help stave off heart and some some types of cancers and that sort of thing. Now they're saying that it that there's no evidence that that happens. Yeah. So they've really made, you know, I guess they're trying to get us to drink less. And, you know, my with these articles really, I, I, I don't, I, th- I mean, these people, as far as I'm concerned, have no teeth. They have really no authority. They're there to make recommendations. How many people are going to actually follow them? I'm certainly not. Um, I, I just don't know how effective... Uh, the, these kind of recommendations are going to be. So you also wonder about the support of data, right? Yeah. Either way. And and again, I'm going to tell you, when I had my health problems a few years back, they asked me in the hospital, hey, uh, uh, how much of a drinker are you? Yeah. Are you, you know, a moderate drinker, low, low, you know? And I said, well, you know, like casual. And I said, well, what's that mean? And they said, oh, about 10 a week. I, I almost fell out of the bed. I said, What? I'll do 10 in a month. What are you talking about? And, and that's alternate months at, at best. So it threw me off. So when I hear two, okay, yeah, that, that's more when I can sit there and say, yeah, I, I agree with that. Do I have reason to think for myself or anybody else um, four or five more whatever drinks a week has any health detriment more than, well, yeah, but it's sugar and everything else, whatever you want to call out on it, Bill. No, I, I don't other than what we what we see. Um, it's interesting to make this change. I think that definitely, you know, 10, 15 a week, I, I think you're a little more, to me, when you talk alcohol, you're certainly risking things. I don't know if that's cancer or some of the other things that we definitely know are really attribu- attributed to. I don't know, attributed to it. I don't I don't know. I will say I'm a little surprised at how far they've gone. Am I? Do I disagree? It's hard for me to say, Bill, because I'm not a drinker. The only thing that uh, that they didn't differentiate and uh, differentiate is that there's a big difference between uh, between you know whiskey and 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 hearts uh, yes and, and beer and beer right you know? so um, I guess they they want us to cut down on both um, they didn't say how many beers or how many they said drinks and I guess that's that's you know the I guess the chains that they made. Yeah, and I think though that they they should perhaps quantify uh, the difference between beer and 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 hard alcohol because there is. Yeah, I don't know if they figure that muddies the water and just makes people say, "Oh well." Like a bill, I think obviously they they want to really strongly suggest folks. If you really only drink it once in a while to hang out with people or whatever, you're the ones that we want to talk to. We're the ones we want to remind you. Yeah, maybe just have that one drink at the friends or if that's all you're going in the way of out where there's drinks, have two. But that's enough that week. Maybe for them it's it doesn't matter. They don't want to muddy the waters with, oh, beer versus vodka or anything like that. Yeah, and, you know, labeling, I, I don't know how effective that's going to be. Yeah. You know, I think people are going to do it anyway. I think people become desensitized to labeling. Yeah, I, I agree. Where else do you want to go, sir? Well, we're going to do this one out of Saskatchewan. Baba's Closet helps Ukrainian children get back to school. So nice. out of Saskatchewan, for refugees that have moved into the province, um, there is a charity called Baba's Closet. Um, and what it does is it is providing backpacks for Ukrainian children, and you can imagine, you know, when they get here, they got no supplies. So what this 
they they have a backpack that you that you can pick up that has you know things like pencils, papers, erasers, just to get these kids basically on the right track. Mm-hmm. And then what happens after that is they can it's basically a starter kit. And then what they do after that is if you need more stuff, you can get they they have it so you can get it. But this is really, I think, good for, you know, you're coming to a, a new country, you're coming to a new, you know, a new school, a new setting, a new environment. And, you know, you need, you know, you know, these 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 backpacks, you know, they're they're multi-purpose. You can use them for lunches. You can use them for, and these people probably don't even have them back no, home. No, no. Well, and and if they are coming here, they're not going to have things. But no. you also just don't necessarily know what right off the top should be in there. And these little things that people right now are trying to adjust, they don't have time to run out and get. And do I have enough pencils? Do I have enough of this or that? I, I think it's a wonderful. Yeah, hold on, hold on. We got you here. Just take this. It says everything you need. Yeah, um, and you know, then hopefully these donations keep going. Mm-hmm. And um, like I say, you can pick you 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 can pick stuff up as you. These kids, the more they need, they can apparently get it. So if, if they find out that there's something in that pack they don't need or or they don't have, they can get it. You know, that's got to be amazing to come to a place. You know what? Depending on how much English people have, you're going into a school you don't know anyone. You know, uh, eight months ago you were comfortable in your own country. You're living just like anyone else, getting ready to go to school, uh, and and a war breaks out. And yeah. now you're here. You've lost what you had at home. You're not at home. This is the new home. And here, guys, let's go to school. And you don't want people falling behind. You don't want. They already lost enough school. Yeah, that's right. Okay, sir. Want to move on to your last yeah, we're one? We're going to do this one. Okay. Um, there apparently there's a new food app that will help you lower the prices. And what it does is it's called Too Good to Go. Oh. And it is a uh, basically an app that you can register for and stores can register uh, so that if you have surplus food at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, so you know you're wondering all these this food that gets thrown out. Yep, yep. So now um, a store can register on this app, and a customer can log in and find out what stores have surplus food, and they can go and pick it up. A wonderful idea. This is out of Guelph. Um, so there is, I believe, they said 24 stores so far that is have registered for this program. A wonderful idea, I think you would agree, to to low. You know, we all know how expensive food pri- food is these days. Yeah, and there's so much food that we throw out, mm-hmm. and and now there's you know, and, and, you know, we have food banks to go to we can use, um, and a lot of people have been you know they go shopping at the end of the day. Because stores are, you know, you can get bargains that way because they're going to throw food out. Right. And this is just one more way of... Publicizing that. Yeah, publicizing it. I don't know. Are they... They they're discounting the food, yeah, right? Basically, yeah, they are. oh yeah. So they it's are. not being given away. We want to make that clear. Oh no. But it's the fact that you get to see where I think. And again, I remember this growing up. They'd talk about going here to get food. At the end of the day, they were going to be getting rid of it. And you kind of, oh, that's kind of cool. But you took your chances. You showed up. You waited around a bit to see uh, what might be. Or you went in and someone was marking down the food. But if you know 
come 10 o'clock at night, you look at the app and, oh, yeah, that's good. Or or earlier or just before the deli is going to close, you know, certain things are going to, you know, what a win-win situation. They get rid of the food instead of chucking it out. And we've shifted that mentality of, well, I'm just not just going to give stuff away. Well, no, but discount it. Let people know You've got it out there. First come, first serve, and move the food. The key thing here is let's stop looking at, oh, well, I can make my few bucks where I'm saving that money. I'm, the customer's going to be happy. Let's talk about just wasting food. Stop it. Stop doing it. Yeah, and it's like the more stores, hopefully more stores will come on board with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would And again, Bill, I mean, 24 in the Guelph area. Yeah. Um, like that's pretty wild for people who don't know. Guelph's a, a, a decent small, size. It's yeah. a small city. It's a decent size. But to know that there's enough participation, enough businesses saying, yeah, we want to do this because this is ridiculous. It also scares you because you start thinking, I wonder how much food they're really getting rid of. We hear what households do, but I don't think that comes close to um, what we would think a grocery store might end up doing because they've got so much. It's got to be a tremendous amount. And what a way to do it. Yeah, that's right. Accessible app. We'll have to try that. Yeah, we'll have to try. It's harder in our situation, I'm sure, for others too. This is the one thing that you'd kind of want to think about and kind of maybe hope that some of the other stores that have apps might have a section where they're doing that at a certain time at night and maybe even have some delivery people on on standby to bring it because of people like ourselves maybe who you just can't you know fish up a ride just like that snapping your finger so really like to see how this goes Shaq thanks a lot of course thanks a lot Bill Shackleton joins us Wednesdays through Fridays right here on Kelly and Company we call this segment the buzz never exactly know where he's going to go with us but uh, always a pleasure to have him on board to be back uh, in uh, a little over a week in a bit Margaret Weldon pinch hitting for next week here on the program up next let's chat on the Chatty Bookshelf. Well, folks, I'd like you to do me a favor. From your TV, take a bit of time to enjoy AMI-audio. Shaw Direct Advanced Channel 825 and Sean Direct Classic Channel 825 as well. Visit ami.ca slash audio for that list of channel locations in your area. Returning as we swing our way through our Friday edition before a long weekend, we swing open the gateway to that weekend. Ah, yeah, what better way to settle back, maybe watch a bit of sports, some TV and maybe find a way that you can include all of that. You know, books, they're all about different things, right? You can include everything, especially those audiobooks. Well, that means Friday. That means swing open the gateway to the weekend. And it means the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? My name is Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, and we talk all things audiobooks. Well, Rye, I can you believe it's already another September and our baseball term, of course, the dog days of summer. That's, that's where that term originally came from, right? It could just be real life and regular life. Um, what is going on out there, sir? Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's hard to believe, you know, usually the Labor Day weekend and guys, I hate to tell you, but it kind of signifies the winding down of summer, right? Kids yep. are back to school. 
um, you know, uh, there's just all the other things are sort of ending and it's sort of back into fingers crossed that fall weather. Right. And, uh, I know I'm going to get a lot of audiobook listening done this weekend. I got a fantasy football draft. So there's that sports component and yeah, you know what the, ba- the baseball season really kind of kicks off and it's that final playoff push or, um, it's those September call-ups and, and in terms of our, for our baseball fans out there. And it, it's an exciting time all all around for sure. It really is. And there's there's a lot, you know, you start feeling that switch over. You even convince yourself that, oh, it's the day after Labor Day. It's already feeling cooler. So next week, get ready for that, folks. But, right, we've got a weekend to get through, which, being a long one, gives us more time to enjoy our audiobooks. What are we talking about today? Well, first, uh, just let everybody know, I know I've been banging this home uh, quite a bit, but it is the second best season for releases. So uh, that Tuesday after the Labor Day, that's when all the books start to come out. So guys, get get prepared, get those wallets ready, lots of sales. I see. Do we know why, right? Audio. Have I you been able know. to figure this out? Like, I, I think. Usually you try to and you can nail something. You know, we talk about Black Friday. We talk about the, you know, the the Monday after Cyber Monday, so on. You always can kind of make a connection. And if you look back enough, there's a reason. But audiobooks and the celebration of them is so new. And that's right. And I, I think it might have to do with like return to school, like, hey, all the new books, like the teachers, let's let's release them so the teachers can buy them and, and read them to their class. Maybe I, I don't know if there's actually an answer, but it seems to be working. Yeah. Um, as, as we all know, the, the audiobooks are mainstream. They're they're a really great form of media and everybody enjoys them. But that's not even the big news. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to kind of bring a couple of things uh, our way today. And I think that if not every listener, I think that most of the listeners will find one of the three stories that I'm about to, to present pretty cool. I think I found all of them cool, but there's one that takes the cake here, obviously. And uh, you know what? I just I can't wait to tell you guys because you know you can you can combine print books and audiobooks. Uh, I know I got your minds going. Uh, what about a new accessible ebook app, or even uh, you know how many Canadians read an audiobook last year? So I think there's a, a few touch points that we can we can go through today. Okay, man. So where do you want to start first? I wanted to go in reverse. I want to touch on the what does the audiobook landscape look like in Canada? And this one was really interesting to me. I mean, it's no secret. They're mainstream. Everybody's listening. But when we say everybody, are we, you know, making a hasty generalization? And I say no. So as of 2021, 45% of Canadians listen to an audiobook, and that comes out to approximately 16.7 million people in Canada have listened to an audiobook. That's crazy to me. That's so many people. And of those people, over half of them listen to at least one. So that's that's kind of cool. Like, you know what? I I want them to listen to more. Obviously, I want them to be up in that 10 range because then it becomes even more um, more mainstream, but that's really cool to me. Um, and this was done by BookNet, which does all kinds of different studies like this uh, around the world. How many people listen in England, that sort of thing. And I just couldn't believe that 45%, half of Canada have listened to an audiobook in the past year. Wow. In the past year. Right. Do we see the number? Did they compare the number of those just either using an ebook itself or an actual hardcover book or whatever, reading it in, in, you know, in its old version? They did not. But what they did do, and it, unfortunately, it was in a graph, so it wasn't that accessible for no. me to grab mm-hmm. the, the, the knowledge and, the, and the, the reports from, but they actually compared it to years past, the last five years. And 
what people were commenting underneath was look at the steady increase, especially from uh, 20, 2019 to 2020 and then 2020 to 2021, which you would have to think it's the pandemic that influenced that just a little bit, as unfortunate it is to say about that. But mm-hmm. uh, apparently the numbers are skyrocketing um, in, in those three years. But over the past five years have just been on a steady incline, as we've been telling you guys for years. But it, it just looks like this is this is going to continue and it might even be gaining momentum, which mm. is odd to say because, you know, audiobooks are so hot still. Well, we, we've heard they outsell um, in different categories, different types, uh, so on. And we know that this increase is there. It's happening. And it's as people get more comfortable with listening to audio content, whether it's audiobooks, podcasts, and, and you know, uh, things that they're learning from how-tos and whatever, and, and, and even uh, smart speakers is, is allowing people to not have to see stuff. You know, you don't, I know there's components of smart speakers where you can see some things, but so much now is allowing people to hear and to take advantage and to utilize it in every little thing, bus stop calling, whatever it might be, right? No, you're absolutely right. And and that's a big thing. Like, you know, you may, the easier you make something, the, the more people are going to use it, right? Where we live in that stage where everybody wants convenience. Um, you know, you get your groceries delivered, you don't go to the grocery store anymore. Um, so, you know, if I can just yell across the room and say, hey, play my audiobook, that's super easy. You don't even have to lift a finger, right? So I, I think that that's a, a major player in what's going on here. And they're making it easy for, for everybody, right? Um, whether you have a print disability or um, some other sort of disability, or if, if you're not even that technologically savvy, you can still kind of use your smart speaker to kind of go through and, and at least listen to news, audiobooks, podcasts, whatever the case might be. But in this case, we're talking audiobooks and 16.7 million people have listened in the past year. Awesome. Anything else that you learned from this that you wanted to cover off? Yeah, it just, I just I I'm I'm so shocked at the numbers, right? And I I know I shouldn't be because we've we've been driving home that it's 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 mainstream, right? But it's I just I can't get over the the numbers, right? Like that's a huge number to me. Like I think about in terms of that, that's it's just crazy to me that you know everybody is starting to get on the the bandwagon it's not just kids in school it's not just uh, you know for us folks that are visually impaired listening to audiobooks now it's everybody and yeah. it seems like everybody's getting involved and loving it too well like we talked about last week you know we're not even a, a, that involved in the marketing or anything uh, of it where we're so used to years gone by having to define and explain what an audiobook talking book whatever might be as we got them from the libraries how are their apps doing are they popular Yes. Uh, so right now, they're the most used, the most streamed, uh, most downloaded nice. books, those sorts of things uh, are coming from your public library uh, apps, right? So I mean, obviously, they they kind of partner up with like something like Easy Stream or, or something or sorry, Easy Dolphin. I, I don't even know what it's called anymore. They just did an update a, a few months ago, but they, they do it uh, with with those apps. And those are where the books are being borrowed from. It's not your audibles, although, you know, they're, they're obviously selling a lot of books, right? But it's not your audibles or your uh, audiobooks.com. Everybody seems to be getting involved in keeping it kind of local to your library and borrowing the books and then returning them. And hey, I, I, there's my one audiobook for the year, right? If you wanted to fall in that category. So look, it didn't even cost you a cent, which right. is really cool. Like the Libby's and so on that are out there. Um, that they yes. use. Uh, your next item, what else has you kind of like cheering here? 
This is cool. So there is an ebook app called Capstone Interactive, which was actually made a few years back and it was aimed at children. It was getting children's books, uh, children's comics, those sorts of things out to children. But over the past like five or six months, we'll say they have made some heavy upgrades to the accessibility. And the thing I love about this is it wasn't just geared towards um, kids with a disability. It was geared towards Maybe the kids, are, in our case, we'll, we'll talk sighted and unsighted, the kids were sighted and the parents weren't. So it was geared towards the parents actually being able to interact with this app and helping the child learn to read. And I found that awesome because it wasn't just, hey, we're going to make it useful for children. We're going to make it useful for the entire family. Um, and this is uh, pan disability, right? It's not just for those with a vision impairment or those that might have a cognitive or um, uh, might be part of the deaf community. It's for everybody. And the upgrades are amazing. And parents are just loving the app. It's it's sparked over 50% more downloads in the past six months. Uh, yeah, six months. And it's just they, they offer so much, right? There's there's comic books, there's kind of your thesaurus and encyclopedia type books. There's your, uh, you know, your fun books. There's your picture books. There's all kinds of different ones that they offer. And now they're branching out and just making it completely accessible to everybody. So they're getting those downloads, right? Absolutely fantastic. Like it really, really is great. You just want to see this and you just love all this stuff going on. Uh, anything else, sir, you want to cover off yet another item? Let's cover that before we run out of time. Yes. And the last one, this is super cool. So you want to combine your print books and your audio books. A company out of Japan has just launched and released a bookend that is a smart speaker. Or it's not a wow. smart speaker. It's a Bluetooth speaker. Pardon oh, me. Man. So it's a Bluetooth speaker. So now you can, you know, hook it up in your library, hook it up in your office, and it blends in and you can kind of trick people. The sound the quality is great. It's getting some, you know, four stars on Amazon and some other things. And it's really cool because it, it specifically works with your, your library apps. It specifically works with Audible, audiobooks.com. I mean, obviously you can you know download your apple music and your things like that because you have to connect your your phone to it but it's really cool and it just the look of it is really awesome and the accessibility on the website is super cool because uh it's it's the descriptions are there the alt text is there um so it's not just oh here's your speaker and it's you know 50 bucks or whatever so it's reasonably priced it's it goes for about the the same as like a google home mini so it's about 60 dollars. but i'm sure they're shipping i didn't actually go through the whole checkout process but uh, for, for 60 bucks, I mean, I might even try it out just to say, hey, look, I got one, even though I don't have any books for it to hold up, right? Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because then you'd be able to, I'm assuming, Ryan, uh, speak to it like you do your smart speaker or because it interacts with. You know what? I think so, but I know that you can use it and operate it through your iPad or your your, your smart device, right? So that's, that's really cool. And uh, as far as I saw that the app that you have to download is completely accessible um, from some of the users over in the UK that are visually impaired. So that's really cool. And that's very encouraging uh, that, that it's able, you're able to use it um, like kind of straight out of the box, right? I love that. I, I also think it's great when people... If you're working, you have an office and you sit in there, you have guests in, but it's not necessarily, I mean, once it gets popular, everybody will know, <laughs> I can see what you do in your downtime. You know, people will know that that's that speaker, but to sit there, have it blend in, whether it's your study at home or in the office downtown, this is a win-win. 
I agree. And you know what? It's almost like I, I picture, you know, the, the, the classy guy with his glasses, you know, hanging on the edge of his nose in his robe, you <laughs> yes, know, with, the, with the classic, yeah. yeah, the classic music going and he's reading his books in his, in his study. And that's what I picture this, the, the book ends. And I'm like, this is cool. This is like the study of 2022. So I, I think that this is really cool. And, uh, you know, what? for an audiobook lover, uh, like myself, it, it, it just, it shows like how mainstream and how, into it companies and and outside of the the book there's all these um this swag peripherals and stuff right that are, that are, the yes, peripherals exactly. to using to make it like you know we used to have the the old high fives and stuff like that that people would put and maybe they weren't number one on the quality but they were there for the convenience and you know look at this cool thing it's unique and that's what we're starting to see here and I bet you it makes it like a great stocking stuffer, right? For that audiobook yeah. lover in your life, yeah, something like that, right? Because we're getting into that season. I know it's only September, but I see the posts already. So, uh, you know, expect some some things on the chatty bookshelf about that too. How many books you're going to knock off this weekend? Long weekend. Oh, you know what? I'm hoping for one. I know that's low, but <laughs> I, I need one because the fantasy football draft is Sunday. So I need to I need to prepare a little bit. I'm I'm behind on that, but. I'm catching up on the reading. I think I'm almost back to where I should be. Good luck with the draft. Enjoy the reading. We'll talk to you next week, pal. Thanks. Take care, everybody. Host of the Chatty Bookshelf, Ryan Huey, joining us as we work our way into the Labor Day weekend. We'll be back in just a moment as we assemble for Cut for Time right here on Kelly and Company. we work our way through this upcoming segment folks it's okay you know what i want you to do go ahead and subscribe to the kelly and company podcast if you haven't done it please please do we're even going to help you out with some reflections on this past week some segments of which you can start with or shows you can go back and take in the whole complete kelly and company podcast experience big thanks to brock richardson who uh, contributed to our audio vanity cards that you can find at the end of the complete kelly and company podcast experience and uh, i uh, knocked out a few myself for the week so do check those out if you're listening to the complete podcast experience whichever way you listen to it whether it's the segments themselves which we make available to you or that complete show we appreciate it and while you're in there if you don't mind maybe give us a rating and review Matt Agnew is joining me um, to talk a little bit about some of the segments that we had on the show this week. And I'm going to kick things off here, Matt, with uh, on Monday, we spoke with um, Spot Dog Walking founder, John Minchin. He joins us on the program because his dog, his pug, Miss Deborah Rose, is releasing a limited edition of her famous barbecue sauce. That's right. That's right. You heard me right, folks. This is in order to raise money for the Alberta Animal Rescue Cruise Society. It's a rib sauce. It's sweet, so it doesn't have any heat to it. Nice. And really, the idea is that you can throw this in the oven, ideally. It's very easy to use. And you're just going to get one of those sweet, delicious, fall-off-the-bone flavors that uh, just keeps you coming back. But that being said, you know, you might want to buy two barbecue, two barbecue sauces because this is a collector's item. Each yes. one is numbered. And, uh, you know, one day, one day you might want to have a full one on your, 
on your mantle just in case. <laughs> wow. Wow. As it hits, it may not be uh, real spicy or hot, but it's going to move and it's going to be that collector's item. So it's going to be a high, hot item. Could you describe uh, the artwork, the bottle, just for, for our audience and for people to picture it? You bet. Yeah. So on the front of the bottle, we've got, it just says um, Deb Sauce named after Miss Deborah Rose. It's got a big picture of her on the front. And then on the back side, it has her secret award-winning rib recipe that was nearly two decades in the making. So not only do you get the sauce, but you get the recipe that lets you cook the ribs exactly how they should be. So you can get that fall off the bone feel. So he may be vacationing out at a cottage barbecuing because you know and you also know who I'm talking about because you know who chased this. This is a total Jeff Ryman chase. Mr. Meat, Mr. Smoker. We've talked a lot about different sauces. Um, some people at AMI, we've chuckled about uh, Dan Panamondo. And Danny is a is a huge hot sauce person, collects them from wherever he can and enjoys it. We've had him on our uh, Collections and Hobbies segment to discuss it. He really enjoys the taste the overwhelming and and for some people and I remember when I first started to use suicide sauce as they called it um the or now we 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 get away from that name and just call it the hot hot as as a nicer way to really give you that feel of what it is because there are so many grades and types of hot sauce out there so when I first started to to get into that it was to be cool it was like ah oh, man I like hot I can t- handle that and some hot I liked some I didn't I learned what I should drink with it, what I shouldn't. So when we brought John on here, and obviously I understand that, you're going to want to have that sauce, uh, Miss Deborah Rose's sauce, that is going to be more sweet, more appealing to so many people, more of that get to the bone and really makes you feel good as the meat falls off and you've got this sweet taste. But for me back then, it was all about the heat. Dan like he says, I want to be able to enjoy it. I want to eat it. I don't want to just buy bottles and have it sit there and not ever sample it. Or, you know, maybe you buy two of them. And if you are going to do something like that for some collectors, they're going to keep one sitting on the shelves where they where they store this and say, hey, look, this is one I got from New Orleans. This is one I got from France, whatever it might be. But mostly you go to these rib events through the summertime. You really want to try eating it. You really want to enjoy it was. It's kind of cool to me how they've made this mystique with this barbecue sauce and and Miss Deborah Rose being a pug and people kind of getting that image that wow this is something she's got a real personality because that's gonna go to the sauce when you try it when you have it you're gonna smile especially people out there who who love dogs um, you're gonna have that feel because it gives it that much more personality not just in the taste. Uh, all I thought about through the whole segment is Jeff Ryman buying, you know, a case of this stuff, um, wanting, intending to keep one bottle, never, ever managing to do that if he liked it, but just pictured him out there working away at it, uh, uh, his meat, and having that sauce sitting there on the table ready to be used when he's dulling out the plates of food. And those kinds of things make you really smile. Um, obviously, we, we don't want to get away from the fact of what the fundraising is about. Really important. And I absolutely love when things like this happen, when an organization who deals with dog walking, as they do, really wonderful organization. Do check it out, please, on the podcast. 
But when they know there's a lot of dogs out there in crisis, a lot of dogs being returned to, to shelters or brought to shelters um, because people can't manage them and what to do with them since they picked them up during the pandemic, were at home and now have to go back to work. So, Matt, I, I thought on many levels it's a really wonderful fundraiser b- b- for a really good cause, but a nice way to do it and to have some fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ms. Deborah Rose, it's a very interesting dog. I, I won't lie to you, Kelly. At first, um, I thought Ms. Deborah Rose was also a guest coming on the show until I started <laughs> doing a little bit of background on it. Um, and I actually discovered so uh, John and Ms. Deborah Rose were on Dragon's Den uh, a few years ago um, looking for some funding for spot dog walking. And, uh, and they locked in a deal with one of the dragons. Uh, but it, it looks like Debbie does quite a bit. Um, not, not just a barbecue pitmaster, but also a TV personality and also ran for mayor of her town at one point. <laughs> so this is a, a dog with uh, quite a bit of, of history, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I love the, uh, the way that they approach the fundraiser. I think it's a great way to do it. Um, you get, of course, the, the, bottle of barbecue sauce you get the uh, the recipe that goes with it um and you you get a couple of uh free dog walking coupons unfortunately for me spot dog walking is not uh quite far uh, north of the city for me um but it's really something that i would go in for yeah. uh, i was watching the dragon's den uh episode with john on it and uh some of the dragons were a little skeptical as to whether or not there was a market but as he mentioned so many uh people have gotten out there during the pandemic and um needed a companion while working from home and have since had to make the uh the trek back into the office but i mean for me where where i'm coming from i have a seven month old daughter and uh an australian shepherd one-year-old puppy uh and there have been so many different times where i just i need to deal with the baby and the dog is just going crazy and having that like super reliable dog walker that shows up like 90 minutes or it's free like it's you know pizza yeah <laughs> that is a great feature i really like it and uh, it's, yeah sometimes you're just stuck you know and and you want to give your your pet the best um you know exercise and and attention and all that kind of stuff but sometimes you're just stuck so i really like spot dog walking the idea there and i really like the idea behind their uh, their fundraiser so this, I, this I could is a really see, great segment to check out I, I could see the problem that the dragons found though in that sense of the trust you know can can you gain enough trust for people in toronto calgary and and vancouver the locations that they they are in um you know to, to trust them with the dogs and it's so wonderful that people did and people i think it's that fraternity that you guys who are dog owners speak of that people always want to come up and let their dog meet the, it's a, a huge trusting sometimes a little too trusting um so but i just got to slip good. this in here kelly because you mentioned the trust factor uh one of the dragons had that same exact concern about building uh, enough trust with the customer base and apparently they their app actually will track the dog walker all around your neighborhood and uh they'll even tell you when and and uh, they'll tell you where and if your dog pooped (laughs) (laughs) so you can keep tracking that you can make sure that they've done the whole hour-long walk or whatever and uh just exactly uh just exactly how your dog enjoyed the walk (laughs) wow a little brown alert flag come up Folks, on Tuesday's show, we had AMI-audio manager Andy Frank stop by to update us on the new AMI-audio fall schedule. I take a lot of pride in the fact that AMI-audio has always been a bit of a content factory, Kelly. And I'm talking about even going back uh, you know, 20 oh, years, years ago. 20 years yeah. ago, Kelly. When yeah. you, when As you a reading I, service? For yeah. sure. Well, you were, you were putting up 
Kelly, for those of you who don't know, Kelly was working, worked as a technician um, at VoicePrint before AMI way back in the day, like um, turn of the century stuff. And we used to, and I was a a reader and a bureau, um, a a bureau chief during that time out of Calgary. And we used to, we used to create 12 hours of content every single day. I know us as technicians, we recorded basically 24 shows just out of Toronto. A day, not to mention the other offices producing their. What did you guys do? Four? Uh, we did two. They're varied, right? Yeah, two, most of us did, did two out of the bureaus. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, the, you had three studios running all the time with you know Bill Shackleton, Tony King, yourself, uh, recording the readers in Toronto. As you mentioned, twenty four shows a week. Yeah. Um, so it's always been a content factory. It's just evolved and changed and keeps evolving, keeps changing as technology changes, as tastes change, as demands change. We got into a bit of this yesterday uh, during the roundtable and during the the program. But it really does speak to you out there, the listeners, and the changes that are happening with AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and your ability to be a part of it. I think it's an amazing thing. When I started, this was before the days of of AMI-tv, AMI-tele, so much wasn't happening with tele or or AMI-tv because they didn't exist. We we were working on... um, a video description through a, another service that that uh, NBRS at the time offered but what was constant was trying to get good quality readings together and information out there um a, a news stand as when we were celebrating the 30 years of AMI audio we discussed but it was the fact that so much content was put out there made available and we always felt we were Canada's best kept secret um, that's no longer the case. And how we know that is the people who came and said, you know, your live shows are wonderful, but I really love hearing the human voice reading to me. I really do want to hear stuff from the walrus, those long, long articles that they are so in-depth. I want to hear those. And I think that that, through the consultants that we've worked with to to find out what you folks out there are saying to us, what the market is, and the people who are on the the uh, listener panels, it really says a lot. I know when um, Andy and I had had a conversation a while back when this stuff was starting to come together, when these changes were going to come together and 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 take effect, and make sure that people had those opportunities to hear this stuff. This was something. At one point, people said, well, do people really want it or do they want more immediacy and, and stuff available to them? Yeah, certainly do. But now I think what we're looking at is a wonderful, wonderful mix of fantastic reading quality, different versions, different stories, different types, different methods in which to deliver that to you, whether it's the Globe and Mail show live, uh, whether it's the ladies from uh, England giving us so much great today content, and of course the Double Tap guys in our show to bring you some of that more immediacy and feel, even though we're doing a lot of reading on our shows too, bringing you some of the stuff that we we have to bring in our contributors. So Matt, it's a really wonderful feeling that to me to look across the scope of our services and what we now can offer out there. Yeah, from somebody who was back in those days, as Andy put it, the turn of the century, to see where we are now and to see this media uh, juggernaut moving along, it's it's pretty tremendous. Absolutely. And I got to tag on to that. I mean, Andy called it a, a content factory, but um, I think it's our, I think it's also a talent factory. Uh, the number of people that I've worked with over the years, and I've done current affairs shows, I've done 
documentary, live radio, remotes, podcast promos, etc. Right. And and the number of people that I've worked with that uh, have started either started or come to AMI um, and really just grown in the role as a broadcaster, like a number of our folks here on Kelly and Company started and did, didn't necessarily come from a radio broadcast background, but have, have really grown into the role as, as well as working with, um, you know, our community reporters. And uh, I did a really cool project with Julia Bennett um, last around this time last summer, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the, with the working from home and broadcasting from home, it really expands the talent pool, I think. And it's just really exciting. And, and now in this new fall schedule, you see uh, AMI audio growing out towards a, a little bit of a UK contingent as well. Um, it's, it's really cool to see, uh, not just the, the amount of content grow, but the amount of people that get a chance to work on that content is really cool as well. I like things as we were learning yesterday about Michael Fair teaching his course, just as we've seen with everybody who has come to the program and, and gone off to do other things. And we've brought them on to speak about the subjects that they're into. Our contributors, I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, our community reporters, who then get so involved in their community or are able to go out and not only share to our audience, but other audiences, whether it be AMI-TV, whether it be just public appearance where they're asked to speak or, or hold a seminar on something. Um, I just love the credibility, of course, because we already know they know what they're talking about and they bring uh, good stuff. All right, sir, your turn. What do you got? Well, Kelly, just moments ago, you were talking with Chatty Bookshelf contributor Ryan Huey about the proliferation. How's that for a $10 word? Wow. Of audiobook readers in Canada. And I know what you're, what you're saying, Kelly. You're saying, how could you possibly have gotten a clip, Matt, from just minutes ago? Well, Kelly, it's because I'm your technical producer. Right. That's how. Magic. Let's take a listen. As of 2021, 45% of Canadians listen to an audiobook, and that comes out to approximately 16.7 million people in Canada have listened to an audiobook. That's crazy to me. That's so many people. And of those people, over half of them listen to at least one. So that's that's kind of cool. Like, you know what? I, I want them to listen to more. Obviously, I want them to be up in that 10 range because then it becomes even more um, more mainstream, but that's really cool to me. Um, and this was done by BookNet, which does all kinds of different studies like this uh, around the world. How many people listen in England, that sort of thing. And I just couldn't believe that 45%, half of Canada have listened to an audiobook in the past year. So Kelly, I'm going to do the hipster thing here and tell you all about how uh, I listened to audiobooks before it was cool. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember growing up, um, my parents wanted to kind of limit our screen time. They used to listen to this radio show called the the John Tesh Radio Hour. Oh, yes, he'd I always that. Yeah, you do. Um he'd always come on with these uh studies and things and tell uh, especially around parenting and things like that. And he had read this one report about limiting screen time uh for for young kids and so my parents really like clamped down. <laughs> I remember being upset with John Tesh. They really clamped down on the uh, amount of screen time we had, but the one thing that we did every morning was we'd have our breakfast and we'd listen to either an audiobook or a radio drama. And so I was into it like from the time I was maybe 10 or 11, um, listening to audiobooks and radio dramas. Um, and uh, I, I kind of took a hiatus from it, I guess you could call it. Um, but I, I really got into audiobooks and Audible in particular when I started commuting to Toronto when I got my job at AMI. Um, that was over seven and a half years ago now. 
And uh, I, I just felt like it was a way to get my time back that I spent uh, otherwise just staring at the highway. Um, but I, I have to brag a little bit here. I, I blow most of those uh, 45% of Canadians out of the water because uh, Ryan mentioned that most of those people listen to at least one audiobook. Well, between my wife and I, we now have over 145 titles in our Audible library. And just last <laughs> month in August, we listened to 120 hours. Wow. 120 hours of audiobooks. But what I think is really cool is that when you get the demand um, for that kind of content, so we're seeing like the, the numbers really growing and the kind of you know, the amount of people that are interested in audiobooks, when you get that kind of demand behind it, you get the production dollars behind it. And you're starting to see some really cool collaborations come out, uh, some really cool productions come out. Things like The Sandman. Mike Fair first tipped me off to that one on Audible on a segment uh, many moons ago. And uh, it, had, it had a follow-up one. And then I saw it on Netflix. And I think it's because the audiobooks, mm-hmm. the audio dramas did so well on Audible, they decided to throw some money behind that and uh, get it a Netflix adaptation as well. So I think it's really cool seeing more and more people get interested in this. And I really just can't say enough good things about audiobooks, Kelly. Like um, when I started listening, like I said, it was mostly commuting. But now, like, there's almost nothing that I'm doing that I'm not listening to an audiobook, dog walking, chores, um, playing kids books for Gemma. Uh, my daughter and uh, when I'm in the wood shop or when I'm cooking, you know, it's just always listening. And uh, it's I mean, perhaps it's because I have a need to be constantly entertained. I don't know if everyone's like that. But uh, uh, Steph, my wife, really got hooked um, after I got her a pair of wireless earbuds. Um, that for her uh, was was the big seller. I, I, I don't know why uh, carrying around a cable was the mitigating factor. But um, but yeah, I think I think everyone should listen to audiobooks. I, I, as a person who had to listen to talking books when I was a kid and they were brought to me when I was like eight or nine and then to try to tell people, oh, what'd you do last night? I listened to a book. You did what? I knew when Audible started advertising on TV, we were into something that I remember the big sigh knowing now I can tell someone, yeah, I listened to a book last night and there was no more of this. Huh? What? How do you do that? Put your head down on the book and listen. So I hear you, Matt, and it's so wonderful. I'll also add about the John Tess show, his audio quality was always weird. It, he was like, it was the strangest sounding show. Anyway, we'll leave that for another time. We'll be back, folks, to take a look ahead. We'll look at the uh, audiobook review, as a matter of fact, as we tease what's on over the weekend. And we'll tell you what's up on Tuesday on Kelly and Kelly. We'd like to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Please use your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe. And folks, while you're in there, take a look. We've got a whole bunch of content available, podcasts that you could also subscribe to and certainly enjoy yourself. We do. Um, But you can listen to our show in segment form, or you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience, as we told you during uh, Cut for Time a little while ago. Uh, I also want to thank everybody who's pitched in this week. We've had uh, Jeff and Ramya away 
Um, so we've really appreciated the help from Margaret Weldon, Paula Flalo, uh, Brock co-hosting to, to get us through the week. It's been really tremendous. And you, ladies and gentlemen, for your patience. Uh, Matt Agnew and I just, just couldn't get through the week without everybody helping out and uh, really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I also want to mention the Culture Days that Sylvie was speaking about earlier in the program. What a wonderful thing across the country. I know we focused on BC, but across the country to investigate. She gave you a lot of information out BC way, but really gives you a feel. If you don't know much about it, what a way to get the feel of what it is. So I I thought that was really incredible, really nice, and makes you really think, especially since so much of this stuff has been away from us with the with the pandemic so uh really appreciate that ladies and gentlemen and um want to go back and check that out and you can do that via the kelly and company podcast well the neutral zone has shifted days uh so we won't be throwing to the neutral zone but what we will tell you about is over the weekend audio book review um their guests this weekend karen mckay and Teresa power from the Center for Equitable Library Access, uh, will be featuring some very interesting titles from the fantasy genre. Now, these were recognized from this year's Aurora Awards, so check that uh, check that out. Now, I'm, this is a special note. If you're a fan of the show, you may feel you got it covered, but remember, we had a scheduling change at AMI-audio this week. So, 1 p.m. Saturday uh, and... Sunday at 2 p.m. You can also hear it repeated through the week uh, on AMI-audio. Do keep in mind show changes, program schedule, all that adjusted and uh, wanted to kind of give you that heads up too. And that reminder as you settle back and enjoy the first weekend of new scheduled programming right here on AMI-audio. For AMI-audio, a lot of return to, as we had Andy Frank on the other day, to so many of the programs that you remember, folks, in the sense of, hey, reading service shows and even more of the stuff. That's the stuff that's been requested by people. So absolutely fantastic. And uh, settle on back and enjoy all that. Uh, that's it pretty well for me, ladies and gentlemen. We have no show on Monday, okay? No live show, that is. We, Ramya, myself, and the team will be back on Tuesday the 6th. Uh, We hope that you'll join us and settle back and enjoy uh, Kelly and Company, and uh, we'll get going in this. I teased at the top. Hey, Happy New Year. It's the start of a new year, isn't it, folks? (laughs) Also joining us on Tuesday's show as we make some adjustments with no Monday program, Brock Richardson. He'll be here with his sports report. Michael Babcock, he'll be here, of course, with us, too, as he moves over from Monday to talk a bunch of tech. He's got a lot to report about. Danielle McLaughlin will hang out with us, and we'll get into uh, Know Your Rights, as we do usually on Mondays. Julie Martin is here with her community report. We do those on Mondays and Tuesdays, so we have her slotted in this Tuesday uh, to begin our second hour of the program. Producers for the show, Jeff Ryman, Ramya Muthan, Paula Flalo, Margaret Weldon, Marianne Dion Jones, our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Audio technical supervisor for us is Paula Deneen. And manager of AMI Audio, that guy, Andy Frank. Folks, take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. Please uh, be safe. Now, get out of here, will ya?
I watched the final episode of AMI this week earlier, this week, of course. And when I thought back to the 10 years of being a show where we brought stories to, and I say we, I was there for a, a long time at the beginning before I moved over to doing Kelly and Company. And as we were speaking with Michelle Dudas, the senior producer of the program, uh, about the last episode, it kind of brought out so many things that I, I enjoyed. And one of the things that at the time I didn't love was hosting from different locations. Now, on Monday's show, I mentioned the fact that I got a chance to do it from a place that had a whole bunch of antique cars that were in storage um, inside this place. Uh, and I can't honestly remember. It, it was a museum. I, I think that's what the, what they called it. It was a museum. And I remember getting a chance to go there, do stand up in different places with different cars as background. And of course, they let me even touch them because that's a big no-no with antique cars. So that for me was really a lot of fun. Now, why I say the hosting thing at the time wasn't an enjoyable thing is you're standing there, there's people always around, and you're doing your stand-up that you've memorized, and you're hosting the whole show that way. Uh, they would move to the studio show later on uh, with Anthony and Molly and then on to Victoria uh, and everybody doing their thing. So I found that it was wonderful. It was a cool experience um, when you had certain places to be. And then, of course, sometimes you were doing things outside in the cold, the rain, at maybe not so cool of a venue. Um, and, and it was kind of fun, but I think the show knew it's difficult and hard to manage and hard for the host to deliver. It was a lot of fun times, but uh, one of the great segments I had a chance to do, and Michelle alluded to it, was was doing the blind car rally with our president CEO. But I also really enjoyed things like going out and learning about ice sculpturing. That was a lot of fun to watch these people compete. It was a cold day, but watch them use their different tools and have them explain to me and go up there and get close enough to try to see what they were creating. And, and with my little bit of vision, not really able to do that much, but their passion from these experts from around the world. Boy, was it fun. Again, congratulations to everybody involved with AMI This Week over the time. Thank you for the time that I had with it and the fun and the experience it gave me as a host and getting out there, getting a chance to learn so much. And, and I think we've said it enough on Kelly and Company. We love any opportunity just to sit back and learn. Class is in. Enjoy your weekend. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.